This is CliffCentral.com. CliffCentral.com on a Thursday afternoon with me, Mabale Moloy. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Now, I mentioned uh, just before the break earlier that we're going to be getting into a rather interesting conversation uh, which involves all of us as Africans. You know, you've, you, you might have heard a lot of people talking about this country's potential and the opportunities that are available here in all sorts of fields, in the field of technology. Um, but the question really is who all these opportunities are benefiting. Are they benefiting us as Africans or are they benefiting, you know, people from first world countries who see all this potential and this greatness and this wealth, apparent wealth, and then they come to the country and take advantage of that. So to answer the question of who exactly Africa is rising for, I am joined by the editor of iAfrican.com, Mr. Defo Mohapi. Good afternoon, Defo. Good afternoon, Mabali. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, We are trying to get a hold of one of the contributing writers that is is Daniel Mweswiga, who is based in Uganda. Um, he, of course, writes for the blog that you edit, um, iAfrican.com. Okay, let me see if we've got Daniel on the line. Daniel? Okay, no, we don't have Daniel. Uh, we seem to be having a bit of a problem with our internet connection, but that's okay. Daniel will join us uh, when he is available. Okay, Defo, well, let's begin by talking by iAfrican.com, and maybe you can give us some insights into exactly what kind of issues you guys tackle and write about. Yeah, sure. We're a community of uh, tech enthusiasts and tech uh, professionals across the continent yeah. and in the diaspora who strongly believe that the stories about the continent's tech and emerging Innovations should be told by those in the trenches doing the actual work. Okay. So that's what we're all about. Hence the topic that you want to discuss today, Africa yeah. Rising, and who that's benefiting is quite a big issue with us. So if we take a look at the overall um, tech ecosystem on the continent right now, um, you describing yourself as the guys in the trenches, how would you describe it? How are we looking? Because, you know, all we, we keep hearing as consumers is um, mobile technology is booming. And, you know, we hear all these wonderful things about the future of media and digital and, you know, the combination of the two. But what is the technology ecosystem really looking like on the continent? There's different sides to it. As you said, mobile technology is booming, but that's on the consumer side. So adoption of mobile technology by consumers has boomed especially with the introduction of, I'd say, sub-600 Rand uh, Android smartphones. Mm -hmm. So that's brought a lot of people onto the Internet. I'd say the first phase of getting people onto the Internet, especially lower LSM in South African terms or more rural or poorer people, was when Facebook and BIS, BlackBerry Internet Service, was introduced. So the second phase is being like the adoption of cheaper smartphones. So that's looking good on the consumer side. But once... To answer your question, back to the topic of Africa Rising, once you start looking at who's manufacturing those phones, who's providing the bulk of the services that people use on those phones, then you get a different picture. Okay, I think we've managed to get a hold of the other contributing writer, Daniel Mersuiga, who is also with iAfrican.com. Daniel, can you hear us? Hello, Daniel? Daniel, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, dear. Hello, okay. I can Yes, can can hear you loud and clear. Ah, fantastic. All right, Daniel. Now, we've got the editor in studio as well, of course, uh, Dave from Ohio. Now, Daniel, let me get your side of how you then contribute to iAfrican.com. You're based in Uganda, for example. So how is the technology ecosystem looking in a country like Uganda? Well, well, uh, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I'm a contributor to iAfrican. I'm based in Uganda. Um, the technological ecosystem in Uganda is uh, purportedly 
said to be rising, yet actually things are not looking the way they are supposed to be looking. Well, here I mean that a lot of people, development partners, uh, practitioners, the media is all excited about the prospects. Okay, so... It's different. All right, so Daniel, people are excited about the prospects. Can where, you hear me? Where, yes, I can, okay, I think you're struggling to hear me, Daniel. Uh, you know what, let me try and get um, Duncan to try and call you back so that we can sort out this connection. It does sound a little bit like we're struggling there. Okay, that's fine. So, Defo, let me then bring this question to you. Yes, consumers get excited about the prospects. Are you saying then that there is some kind of disconnect that we as consumers are missing, whereas you guys are getting to look at the bigger picture? Well, consumers, as a consumer, I'm also a consumer on the other side, like yourself. Consumers will buy what suits them best. Yeah. So the gap is two ways again. There's also a lag of applications, I'd put it that way, that are very, not applications, only technology that is very Africa-centric or solving African prob- problems uh-huh. or going down to country problems, either Uganda, South Africa. Also, there's a, it's, that goes, if I drill deeper into that, that's a quality issue in terms of would you use misc- mix it? Versus using WhatsApp okay. You get what I'm saying yes. Would you use WeChat or would you use Mixit Which just shut, shut down So it's, it's it also boils down to a quality issue In terms of what we're producing From a tech ecosystem point of view But it also comes to how the How the bigger multinationals are operating as well all right, Defo, let me, let me take us back to just a couple of weeks ago where the number one headline story in the news was that of the students uh, protesting, really, really bringing the country and government and all major news networks, um, you know, forcing them to focus all the attention on them because it was a serious issue. I'm, of course, talking about the fees must fall protest. And here again is where one can ask this question of Africa rising for who? Because, you know, students in this country, certainly, and I know that some will say that there are other countries on the continent where students have access to free tertiary education. And so this would be one of the one of the examples where you can bring in that point and ask what how is Africa rising when we're not able to um, provide students with you know what they consider to be essential to them uh, going on to have successful futures yeah, that's a very valid point I mean yeah good question what who is it benefiting yeah. in terms and that's a good example with the students but what I'd like to bring to the fore in terms of why we're in a situation where we're not seeing the wealth that is purportedly there filtering down to people and students, is uh, there's a report that was done and research done by former president of South Africa, Mr. Tabumbeki, called the illicit capital outflows out of the continent, where he investigated how big multinationals are using all sorts of tax evasion methods and other methods to avoid paying tax and moving a lot of capital outside the continent or outside the countries in which they operate in. That way it robs the countries that they operate in on collecting taxes which they could be using to pay for education, free education, to pay for basic services, etc. Obviously, that's not the only thing that's stopping Africa from rising. There are other issues that we experience like corruption, etc. Mm. But that's one of the major issues. So then who are these people benefiting then, if not Africans? You know, people get up in arms when they find out about the latest deal that this country, for example, has, has signed with China or with a country like Russia. Who are all these people benefiting if it's not us on the ground who, you know, this is our home? It's benefiting all the people who Investors, if yeah. I may say that, yeah. who are putting money in and 
Some operate with the mentality of extracting profits by any means necessary, like tax evasion. So, yeah, it's benefiting mostly those. Look, uh, life has improved, especially in South Africa since 1990, 1994. But it hasn't improved, I think, at a rate that everybody is satisfied with. And how do we, as a country, if we take it back to the uh, technology ecosystem in the country, how do we compare with the rest of the continent? You know, if you compare our boom in technology to a country like Nigeria or Kenya or Uganda, how do we compare to the rest of the continent? Very interesting and probably slightly controversial question. Uh, I mean, countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda are relatively homogenous in terms of race, in terms of, they have different cultures, but slightly homogenous or more homogenous than South Africa. But then you come to South Africa, given its uh, history of apartheid, mm. we and sanctions, and I'll, if you can allow me a few minutes. Because of sanctions, South Africa had to build its own things. So you had Danel, which was doing defense technology and defense armaments. So they build that capacity. But that was limited to one side of the of the population. So it's white people. You had all sorts of software development and hardware development. Again, that was limited to one side of the population, as you would know. Then came 1990, 1994, and up till today, we still face that lag. So there has been a lot of innovation and technology advancement in South Africa. Mm. But as a function of history, and that still continues, and hopefully continues to be addressed as well. You see that it's limited to a certain portion of the of the population. Mm-hmm. Versus countries like Kenya, which don't have that uh, hangover of apartheid, where the IHUB, for example, in Nairobi, are doing great work in terms of technology innovation. They brought out something called the BRIC, B-R-C-K. And what does that do? That's a internet router, like a router for the internet that you can use without electricity, okay. which is perfectly suited for African conditions right. given intermittent electricity supply. So that's one example of what they're doing. Then they've got something called the Kio Kit, which I think they launched recently, which is internet, which is, has got a brick, et cetera, et cetera, for a connected classroom. So they're building quite great innovative solutions that address issues for the continent. And then you'll hear a story about how a giant like Google, for example, is looking to uh, bring more Internet access to a place like Africa. You know, they talk about these hundreds of these balloons that they're going to launch into the air that will be able to give us access to a wireless network. You have all all these international companies that are trying to, you know, to to bring, um, you know, to improve the access of Internet on the continent. Is this is this a good thing for us in the in the in the short term in the long term or should we rather be saying hang on we should actually be solving these problems ourselves and if we say that how realistic is that really uh, is it a good thing personal opinion this is not strictly a scientific or professional opinion but personal opinion no why and, not and I think I think the mobile operators will probably agree with me as well uh, if you look at Google Facebook as well is one that's bringing free internet mm. with limited services. Their model is they don't make money out of internet connectivity where areas your mobile operators make money out of internet connectivity. They make money out of primarily advertising and other services on top. So they can afford to give internet connectivity for free with the catch that they connect as many people to their platforms as possible to extract uh, advertising revenue. So is it good? Look, consumers decide. You can't. It's a free market system. Consumers adopt a service that they'd like to adopt. But personally, that's why I said it's not a professional opinion, but a personal opinion. Okay. I don't think it's good. And then somebody like me is thinking, hey, what's wrong with Google? They're a great company. They want to bring me more internet access. What's the issue? Exactly. So then if not these guys, then in your personal opinion, then who? Who then takes over? If I mean, if Google is say, uh, saying that they're going to do it, 
prior to them saying that they were going to do it, was there anybody on the continent saying that they're going to do it? Oh yes, there's there's a couple. I mean, there's there's one which will be doing a feature on in terms of video and sort of a mini documentary in Fosslerus right here in Johannesburg called Kokasi Hotspot. Okay. They provide free and relatively cheap internet access. I think it's something like ten rands unkept in that township. And there's also, I mean, one that's well-known now, uh, Project Isiswe by Eleanor Craig Jr., which provides free internet access to in Pretoria, in Stellenbosch, in Cape Town. So I think we should support those type of initiatives and other initiatives in the rest of the continent. Uh, Daniel, I think we've managed to get you back. Daniel Mesuga is one of the contributing writers of iAfrican.com. Daniel, can you hear us now? Yes, I can. Oh, fantastic. That is much better. <laughs> Connection is working Finally. for us. Uh, Daniel, let me, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you that first question again, because, you know, you're a contributor for Ifri- iAfrican.com, but you're also based in Uganda. And maybe you can give us a comparison on what Uganda's technology scene is currently looking like. Right. Um, uh, the technological ecosystem in Uganda is, as I had said earlier, it looks good on paper, but when you actually uh, enter or when you actually go on ground, things are quite different. Uh, for example, uh, the, the other day I was I was complaining of why all of these development partners, the practitioners and the startups themselves are being attracted in a field which looks like it's, it's, it's booming, it's rising, yet um, they, they go there and struggle and uh, consequently die off. Uh, for example, there was a report which was never published. I think it was in 2013 by Outbox Hub. Outbox is one of the incubation hubs. It documented that 94% of software developers in Uganda didn't make any money, were not making any money. Imagine, 94%. And these are the same guys who are running for app competitions, hackathons, sponsored by IBM, Google... And all of those are big companies. And um, I'm not I'm not drinking the death nails, neither am I being a prophet of doom, more a cynic, whatever okay. you call it. Okay. I, I I think in my humble opinion is we need to know the we need to know the truth. We need to know what we are getting into. When they say Africa is rising oh. as it's rising for who and who are benefiting? It's, is it the six percent or the who are the majority. All right, Daniel, let me ask you this, and then, Defoe, you can also jump in here if you like to. You know, when one thinks of technology solutions, one imagines that um, on the back of that is this idea of, you know, their good intentions because you're genuinely trying to improve the lives of the masses. This is what technology does. It improves people's standards of living. But then how is that weighed out with also the money side of things? Because, you know, there's a lot of money in being innovative in technology. And I imagine that sometimes, you know, the said people who are in charge are sometimes standing there trying to juggle, well, you know, there's, uh, there's all this money that's at play, but then at the same time, how do I not lose focus of what the purpose is supposed to be which is to improve on people's lives and standard of living. Daniel? Yes, uh, that's a good question. Um, from my personal observation, on, in Africa, well, there, there is money, but locally just a couple of hundred dollars because uh, this year we have like one company that rolls uh, about a hundred thousand US dollars in Uganda. Well, our, our our venture capital system and our angel investment system is rather still on, on, on a low cap. But um, to answer you, 
I think technology, you, you must not be blinded. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can still you hear must, you, Daniel. You, you must not be blinded by the solutionism. You know, there is this thing from Silicon Valley that code will, will serve humanity. But here we have people who don't have postal address systems. How are you going to build an e-commerce platform for them? We have people who, who don't uh, probably uh, have electricity. How are you going to tailor solutions for them? You see, we, we first, we first uh, need enabling infrastructure, enabling structures uh, like uh, roads, uh, electricity, and those other b- few basics before we jump onto the, onto the, onto the uh, technological uh, solutions. But then again, uh, you know, with this whole recent uh, mobile apps and the exponential growth in mobile technology, it means that, well, we can leapfrog, but then again, we cannot ignore the basics. There is no way you, you can entrepreneur bad policy. There's no way you're going to entrepreneur a bad banking system. Yes, you need to look beyond that and incorporate the basic structures like electricity, like roads, and all of the basics, and look for a way of forging with this new technology. And they have to work in concert. Therefore, are the decision makers, or the board members, or any of those people in charge, are they losing sight of providing solutions for the people because, you know, they're being blindsided by this, the dollar signs? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I personal opinion, probably <laughs> professional opinion too. Right. And and I think it's it's we need to understand it as well. I mean, most African countries were colonized, and lib- liberation movements as such, people struggled. Now this is just an observation of mine, mm. and I haven't done a study on this. Liberation movements had people in power, and people get all of a sudden overthrow a government. Elections get held and they become politicians. And now I think what's happening is that not necessarily the guys at the top, not necessarily your your Nkrumas, your Mandelas, your Mbekis, but guys who are supporting the movement start getting into power, into certain positions and start thinking, hey, we better make some money quick before it's over or whatever. So I think that there's, there's a side to that that says that they're not seeing, they're not in touch and we see it with, uh, widespread corruption across the continent, not just in South Africa, mm. happening. And I think it's a mentality that says that we've been struggle. Or I think it, there was one who said I didn't get into the struggle to get poor. I forget who it was, but yeah, there's that mentality that simmers under the whole governments of all the continent. Uh, Daniel Defo mentions the word corruption, and you know I always wonder about this issue: Are people becoming more and more corrupt as we progress as a society? Uh, or, or is it just a case of, you know, now it's a lot easier to expose corruption than it used to be maybe 50, 100 years ago? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on corruption? My thoughts on corruption, I, I think it's more of a paradigm shift for our generation. I don't know how it is in, the, in Europe or the Americas, but currently in, in Africa, in particular in Uganda, it's a me-me thing. Like, you're moving... You're moving in the streets and you're seeing these roadside uh, banners and adverts saying, get hips now, instant hips, get instant money now. <laughs> okay, all right. The instant, so, the instant gratification generation. I know all about that, Daniel. <laughs> actually, I call it the me, me generation, the memes. We are living in the memes 
me time, me everything, yeah. and we want it now. So it, it, it has killed a basic tenet of life called patience. Because uh, Warren Buffet, for example, made more than 90% of his wealth after 49, as in when he was 49 years plus. So it's, uh, corruption is rampant, mostly because guys, uh, guys don't want to work, guys are impatient and uh, however much we factor in other macroeconomic variables like uh, overpopulation and uh, and uh, unemployment uh, levels which are very high i think particularly guys want to get rich quickly and instantly okay now let's 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 talk about getting rich uh, quickly and instantly or maybe let's just talk about getting something started and daniel i'll begin with you let's talk about startups in the technology scene what does the landscape look like for a young african who tries to start something up in the tech scene um what are the odds against that company being successful uh, just just paint that 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 scene for us for somebody who's thinking you know i want to become an entrepreneur I want to make a difference. I want to start something. Technology is a space that I'm going to do it in. What is what is that person's chances of surviving the startup process and then going on to be a successful company? Good. I think the odds are against anyone who is starting up a company. As in, it's you have 99% chances of failing. Statistics say that over... Uh, Okay, you know, 78% of statistics are forged. This one too. (laughs) Okay, this one as well, Well, Daniel. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the majority of startups do not make it. That is a basic fact. They do not live to see their first birthday. So, here is one thing startup founders need to know, that they are racing against the wind. They are building for those without electricity. It's, It's just... It's, it's a roller coaster, and they must be ready for it. So um, here is another thing I, I, I like, and I derive uh, inspiration from Silicon Valley. You know, many of us have mastered the art of copying and pasting, mm. but this is a silly con. It is a con, as in it's a con of man. We think uh, things will come easy on the plate, okay. and, yet, and, and yet actually that is not the case, because... As, as I talked about earlier, patience and patience is the only thing that makes products endure. And uh, notably, another thing is, um, um, you know, the Zuckerberg story, the Ivan Spiegel, the Jack Dorsey. You know, kid makes an app, an app makes billions. They go to the uh, to the celebrity IPO territory, and I think that narrative is more dangerous is more repugnant to this side of the world than any other part of the world because much as we continue looking at the Facebooks and the Instagrams and ignore what we can do for our local communities and our ecosystems, I think we're, a startup uh, a startup founder will be doomed. So th- they need the focus and they need to develop that independent thought of, hey, let me look at my ecosystem, what is missing, and, what's gonna be, and then finally... Uh, Boring tech, yeah. <laughs> Bad, yeah. <laughs> what is what? No, you've got to elaborate on that, Daniel. Boring tech. <laughs> exactly. Um, boring tech is stuff that is just boring. As in, 
boring solutions, but they're like electricity and water. Mm. They're boring, but they're we need them in life. Mm-hmm. Um, because most so, people, most people want to go for the sexy look. They know they want to go into and, developing apps, and they want to, and, you know. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you can relate with this example of uh, Mark. Is it called Mark Shuttleworth, the Ubuntu guy? Yeah, Mark Shuttleworth. Yes, uh, his company when it uh, was sold out to Verizon in 1995, it was doing some sorts of internet uh, security. You know those internet certificates. Those are things that even up to now we have no companies building in Uganda. But security is important. You need to lock. You need to protect all of those platforms. So we need things like those. We need we need guys who are doing the dirty stuff in in, in e-commerce. Guys who are doing dirty stuff in uh, in uh, financial payments and financial technology but most of us have been have been blinded by this whole app thing mm. it, it it doesn't add up really all right um therefore there is this perception that maybe a startup company in south africa stands a better chance of being successful than in a country like maybe kenya or you know uganda or you know it's 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 a perception First of all, I get you to comment on whether that's a perception, and then I'll ask you um, to then add your 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 viewpoint on why startups struggle and what you know what contributes to them failing. Sure, uh, it is a perception, and I disagree with it. Okay. And I'll explain by including the answer in your second question. Mm. I think startups fail mainly because it's. Uh, I'm tempted to say age, but it's more an experience thing, especially on the continent. You can't compare dropping out of graduating out of a. University of Johannesburg with dropping out of Harvard, for example. Mm-hmm. So somebody who, or even graduating out of Harvard or Stanford or MIT. So one, the education system is not preparing people for entrepreneurship or even tech entrepreneurship. Being a good coder doesn't mean you're a good businessman. So I don't think universities are preparing students for that. And it's not their job, to be honest. Secondly, as I said, it's an experience thing. Uh, there's a lot of, you see a lot of uh, youth or under 30s or under 35s, but I'd say I'll, I'll drop it down to under 30s mm. who think that at 21, 22, on the continent, I'm not speaking about Europe or or the USA yeah. on the continent who believe that they can just drop out or not even drop out, graduate and start a business and boom, they're going to be millionaires. Mm. Hardly happens mm. uh, I think you should wait And I, it's not a function of age But I'd say around 30, 29 Go work first Get the experience Build the network of people Build the body of knowledge Build the experience Know an industry Or a particular Because let's be honest Once you get out of university At age 21, 22, 23 Who do you know In terms of business connections Or contacts Where, which industry do you know in depth mm. Unless you've been working at it As a hobby from a very young age so it's it's it, it contributes that thing of dropping out or starting a business at very early contributes to the statistics that are made up like uh, like Daniel's yeah. where ninety nine percent of businesses fail because if you look at the age it's like twenty something year old starting businesses and then they give up and say oh no business is bad it doesn't work but they're not looking at themselves internally or introspectively and thinking wait but I didn't have the experience about this industry I struggled to figure out how it works this industry I yeah. struggle to do certain things simply because you don't have that experience so I think that's it's, it's and if you look the flip side of that is that if you look at who's successful in terms of tech startups I'm not going to talk about other industries then you'll start to see a sort of proof to my theory so you see people who are 28 29 30 30 plus 
starting to get traction or they even last longer, even though they experience failure, they're more resilient to keep carrying on. All right, gentlemen, let me ask you, and Daniel, I'll begin with you here again. Um, is there an issue whereby um, Africans are maybe not supportive of locally of local products or local um, inventions? You know, if we look at you, let's let's take apps for example, and I know Daniel, you don't like apps, but let's let's take let's take a look at a simple example <laughs> like apps, where you know somebody on the continent will develop an app, and then for me to download it, I'll need to part with X amount of money, and then I'll look at an app that's been developed by some Canadian guy, and it's free. Obviously, I'm going to go for the free app. Uh, is there a huge problem in Africans also not being supportive enough of local inventions, local ideas? Um, first of all, let me make, let me put this clear. I don't hate apps. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love apps. I can even make it more sound generic. And ah, apps changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, this exposes part of the bigger problem. Yeah. I, I and I can trace it back from the history. Uh, in 2010 is when the whole Africa is rising narrative started. And it's, it was more of um, a move to to sell these new neoliberal market interventions and, 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 and structures into, into emerging markets to help them. Uh, it was generally packaged to help the outside world uh, get attracted to investing in Africa. And then the evil brother of Africa is rising. It's called the, the middle class. <laughs> the middle class. <laughs> okay. All right. The, yes, the uh, evil stepbrother. All right. <laughs> the stepbrother. <laughs> step well, um, if you remember, African Development Bank in uh, 2011 said that there are 300 million Africans in the middle class. And yet a recent report by Credit Suisse says there are 18.9 million Africans in the middle class, 18.9. Imagine from 300 million to 18.9. And when people are building apps, I'm asking, who are you building them for? Mm. For the poor, for the rich, or for the middle class? And app developers, or rather apps develop, do not address a particular class of people. Mm. As in, they are developing an app for the for the upper class of, of 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 Africans, but yet it's it's non-existent. All these guys do not even use apps or or even smartphones. So I think it 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 comes it trickles from the top to the bottom. The numbers are not consistent. The numbers are not revealing. We think we're building uh, apps for 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 say uh, thirty million people. Yet there are actually one million people out there and. Well, I'll go back to quality. The quality again is not is not the best. Though I've seen a couple of really good African apps, and um, again, endurance. If you can't hit the bottom lines, if you can't hit profitability, if you can't get growth, your app will eventually die out. Like mix it. Oh, okay. Well, I know that's a different story, but. <laughs> All right. Well, Daniel, we are running out of time, but I do want to get uh, one last answer out of you both. And let me let me begin with Defo here. Uh, what then do we do to change the technology scene on the continent to make sure that it is benefiting Africans? Uh, yeah, people need to be brave. They need to go out. As much as I said, don't start a business too young. <laughs> okay. 
the other side is do take a risk, do take a chance. Yeah. We need to do things ourselves. We can't rely on governments to do everything. We need to take it upon ourselves. But more importantly, I think collaboration is important because you might find that even if you're young, there's somebody who's more experienced at something in another part of the continent or in the same city who can help you. Mm. So I think collaboration, especially in technology, because given the open source culture in, in technology, it makes it easier. So we should collaborate more and be brave a little bit more. And you, Daniel, final words? Uh, mine is more into collaboration, but I will say talent, talent, talent. You need a business dev. You need a programmer, you need a designer, you need a doctor, you need a lawyer. You need all of these guys working in concert for a common goal. Probably they will help us understand their sectors. Computer scientists don't know everything. So I believe collaboration within our local circles. And we should never stop dreaming. We should never stop being hopeful. I think hope is what drives us all. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Daniel Mweswiga out of Uganda. He is a contributing writer for iAfrican.com and the former HPB editor of iAfrican.com. Uh, check it out. It's, it's, it's good reading. It's, it's interesting. It's thought provoking. It, um, it challenges you to think in a search in a different way. And I think it forces all of us to ask the critical questions. So gentlemen, thank you very much for the work that you do to both of you. And thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you for hosting us. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. You're welcome. All right. And thank you for joining me this afternoon. I am going to wrap it up with just uh, this last thing. Uh, Do you need a holiday? Who doesn't need a holiday? We're just a few weeks away from bringing 2015 to a close. So have a think about this. Would you like to win an all-expenses-paid trip to Thailand for you and someone special? Cliff Central wants to make your holiday dreams come true. You could win an exotic holiday for two to Thailand. Simply by downloading the Cliff Central app and posting the hashtag Cliff Central app on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. The Cliff Central app makes it easier than ever to listen to us, and it's free. Even more reason to put yourself in the running. Entries close on the 6th of November. That's tomorrow. Uh, so get going and put yourself in the running. Uh, so go to the App Store, the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and download the Cliff Central app now. Details on cliffcentral.com. Uh, we made listening to us easier and now we can make winning easier. Cliffcentral.com. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back again with you next week, Thursday. I'm Mabale Muloy. Have a good day. This is cliffcentral.com.